0: Last time I was here, I, I told you about a book, that uh, I, I connect with books. Books really inform me, they move my heart, they help me to grow, and, and I'm bringing another book today. These are old books. Well, The last one wasn't uh, David and Goliath, that's a new book, but this is an old book, Secrets of the Vine by Bruce Wilkinson, and it's in your uh, uh, RenConnect.com website under notes. You can, you can connect and get your own copy. There aren't a lot of copies left because it's an old book. But it's by a guy named Bruce Wilkinson, and Wilkinson has taught me things, and I'm, I'm going, it, going through it again now in my, my devoted time with Jesus just to pick up on it again. And I thought there might be something useful for you from the book and from the recording in John chapter 15 where Jesus speaks to us about, as uh, Julie said, the, the vine and the branches. Now you know if you have any acquaintance with the Holy Land that, that there's, uh, there's vineyards all over the place. It, it's a very hilly area. And the trees were stripped years and years ago, but uh, even before that, there were vineyards all over the place. And it's obvious in everybody's mind that knows about the Bible that Jesus would walk by the vineyards, maybe through the vineyards at times, and his disciples would walk with him. And so what we're going back to are the secrets of the vine as Wilkinson talks about it. Not really secrets in that uh, this is you know, something you whisper to somebody else. This is the kind of thing that it was there, but sometimes we just don't see it because things are so familiar to us. Well imagine Jesus walking through the vineyard uh, with his disciples. It's around the time he's talking about uh, in terms of his life when he's in the upper room with his disciples. They've had the Passover feast, the Lord's Supper as we have come to know it. And they're going to leave soon to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they'll no doubt walk by vineyards, but they've already walked by vineyards before, and so what Jesus does is he talks about vineyards as a metaphor so that they can understand what's necessary for them to be fruitful in life, and they want to be fruitful in life, just like you and I want to be fruitful in life. You, you know, you get to the end of your life, and you want people to stand up in the, in the funeral home and say, boy, he really made a difference in my life. She had, she had a major impact in my life, and kids, and, and spouse, and friends, and and people you don't even know, you, you really want that. And the older I get, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm as old as dirt just about now, so, so I really want that. And one of the things I ask people when I sit and have coffee with them is, what do you, what do you want people to say about you in the funeral home? Because that kind of sharpens the focus for me at least and tells me what my life needs to be about. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about fruitfulness, and the bottom line, obviously, from the simile that he uses, the metaphor that he uses, is that every follower of Jesus Christ has to be connected to Jesus himself. And he uses the the vine, which is Jesus, and the branches, which trail out, which represents every believer. So it's an easy kind of picture, but Wilkinson takes you for a tour, and I'd urge you to get the book because it's so helpful, of a vineyard. And in the tour of the vineyard, he's saying Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he sees in the vineyard four baskets set out for, for the harvest. People are going to come in and they're going to take the grapes that are, that are ready to be harvested and they're going to put them in one of these four, four baskets. And he talks about walking along and finding how God moves us from one degree of fruitfulness to the next degree of fruitfulness. Okay, here's the three secrets of the vine. First one. If your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene to discipline you so that you might bear fruit. First basket you come to, there's nothing there. There should be fruit there. There's nothing there. The picture, if you get a good translation of the Bible, is that the the leaves, the the, the branches have fallen down into the dirt beside the trellis or beside the the wire that they're usually hooked up onto, and they become dirty, and as a result, they don't they don't get what they need in terms of the sun and they don't produce fruit. And so the 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 vine keeper will lift up I rose, the word that's used there, in the Greek he'd lift up the 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 vine, and he'd wash it off gently, put it up onto the trellis where it can get the sun, and therefore become fruitful. So that's the picture of discipline. If you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but there's really nothing coming out of your life that is worth looking at or talking about in the funeral home, uh, that's the picture. He's going to help you with the sin, and he does that through discipline. Second secret of the vine. If your life bears fruit, God will intervene to prune you so that you might bear more fruit. So you've got the picture of no fruit, and then you've got fruit, and then you've got more fruit, okay? And the pruning is simply cutting back the leaves that have grown so much that they, they block out any, any access of the sun to the fruit. And so you have to cut back, and, and the, 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 the section of the vine that's not doing it, you cut it back. Well, that's what pruning's all about, and you know that from your own garden, perhaps, or from your own understanding of those ideas. Third secret of the vine. If your life bears a lot of fruit, God will invite you to abide more deeply in him. You're doing well, you know, you're, you're really doing well and you're kind of at the top of your game, but you want more and you want significance. A lot of people quit their job at 50 and go into seminary or someplace where they can find significance. So they go to work in a mission or they go overseas in a, in a nonprofit. So they, they want significance. That's the much fruit idea. Okay. Okay. So if you want much fruit, Jesus is gonna say, okay, you gotta come over here and we gotta spend time together. Now, true, you gotta spend time with Jesus anytime, time, but it's especially at this point where you're on the top of your game that God says to you, okay, I want some time with you. Now, I wrote that, read that book probably back in the early part of uh, the, this century. Uh, funny, you can talk about this century and last century, and we were around during both of those centuries. Isn't that kind of strange? I wasn't around during the one before that, I just want you to know. <laughs> I know what you were thinking, I could see it in your eyes. I was reading the book around 2001, something like that, um, and it was a time when, when I had real need in my own life. And in the book, you'll, if you read the book, you'll find that Wilkinson talks about going to California and meeting with a friend out there, and, and uh, Wilkinson was going with a real sense of distress, a real sense of uh, wondering why he was doing all the things he was doing. He was doing a lot because he had a, he had a ministry down in Georgia that was branching out all over the world. I walked through the Bible, and you may have heard of it, he had all kinds of Bible study presentations and understanding the scriptures. And he was very, very busy doing all the right things, having a wonderful time, but it was lacking meaning to him. The thrill had left. The joy had left. We met, he talked to this man, and the man said, I've, I've studied over 500 Christian leaders, Bruce, and... Uh, I've studied them in the Bible, I've studied them from contemporary times, I've studied the young leaders who are coming up, I've studied the old leaders who've been there, I've studied 500 leaders, and Bruce, you're just about on track. Bruce looked at him and wondered what he was talking about. Man went on to talk about two sources of fulfillment as we live our life for the glory of God. There is this personal relationship with God that when we first become Christians, we are just thrilled with who he is, and we are astonished at how generous he is, and amazed, and our lives are fruitful. We don't have much competence in what we do. You know, we're kinda new at this game, so for me it would be preaching, or for you it would be teaching a Sunday school class, or for you it would be sharing your faith at work, or serving in a nonprofit. whatever you're doing. Don't have much competence, but that's okay, because we've got this relationship, and it's giving us a source of joy that we just couldn't find any place else. But you know what happens, the competence grows. You get better at what you do, and now you're deriving your joy from both sources. There is this relationship on the one hand, and there is this competence in seeing things happen in whatever it is you're doing for the glory of God. You know what happens after that. Yeah. Well, The competence begins to grow, and as the competence grows, something happens in the relationship. It just kind of stays there, because you can't concentrate on everything, can you? Because you're really busy doing the things... That, that, that show your competence in your work, and your ministry. So, so the competence grows and the, and the relationship stays where it is. And you know what happens. It gets dry and dusty. What you're doing gets dry and dusty. It may look good and everybody may look at it and say, oh, that's terrific. And what he said to Bruce is, Bruce, that's where you are. Your competence is at an all-time high. But the relationship hasn't been there for a while, has it? And Bruce knew exactly what he was talking about, and I knew what he was talking about. Back in 2000, something like that, my, my ministry was at an all-time high. I'd never had such good days in my life. I was uh, in the midst of a growing church. We had a ministry called Liquid that was beginning to form at Millington. Tim was coming on my staff. Uh, I was involved in a, a lot of overseas travel through a ministry that uh, I was on the board of and chairing and I had lots of people in the church who loved me. I think most of them loved me. They spoke well of me. They spoke highly of me. I had a wonderful reputation in the the community around us and and beyond that. But I'll tell you what, I got to a point back in 2000, 2001, where all I wanted was out. I wanted out. I had all kinds of good things going on. It wasn't that. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that I wanted to do something that I needed uh, the joy to come back from. And what I was doing was not giving me the joy that I had known prior to that time. There was something missing in the midst of my life. I wanted the joy back. And I didn't know where to get it, the joy. I wasn't being disciplined. There There was really no major sin in my life. Nothing I could look at and say, oh boy, you are really off base here. Nothing like that. I wasn't being pruned, it wasn't as if God was saying, okay, this has to go, and this has to go, and this has to go, or at least I didn't know what that was, but sure as shooting, I sunk into some form of depression, and my counselor told me it was light to moderate depression, he asked me about medicine, I said, no, if we could do it without medicine, then let's go ahead without medicine, he said, okay, let's do that, and it took me about six months to get through this, because... All I wanted was out. And some of you know exactly what you're, I'm talking about, and sometimes it's your family that you want out of, and sometimes it's your work that you want out of. It's, it's the kind of thing that happens in Christian ministry and all too often outside of Christian ministry. And what we end up doing is looking for the more that we're trying so hard to get through porn or through illicit relationships or through alcohol or through uh, uh, Striving for more recognition or getting more busy or doing more things or wherever the fruitfulness is we want more of that But but we get all mixed up because something's happened to the joy in the midst of it and we want the joy back Now remember uh, Jesus in this passage in John chapter 15 is talking about four levels of fruitfulness There is no fruit a basket boy. That is empty. It's right there where it should be but the basket is empty yeah, he's a Christian, she's a believer, a follower of Jesus, but there's just nothing happening that can, that can reflect the glory of God, okay? And, and then the second one is there's fruit. Something happens, usually discipline, and God begins to bring forth fruit. Something is taken away in terms of an attitude or a conduct that really keeps that man or that woman from being fruitful, and then a man or woman moves from fruit to more fruit because of the pruning that takes place, and some things are cut away, either Uh, because he wants them to be, or because God says these things have to go. And then that final one is much fruit. Now, I want to read from John chapter 15 so that you can get the setting. And I'm going to ask you to help me in this for a minute, because I need to change a word in there that's not translated as well as I think it should be. The word remain will show up on the screen. When the word remain comes, I'm going to ask you to use the word abide. Because there's a richness in the word abide that you just can't get in the word "remain." So let me read to you. It'll be on the screen. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Remember that first basket? No fruit. No fruit. Actually, it should read, he lifts up and washes off every branch that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, okay, that's the next level, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful next level. Three levels so far. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain, now say abide. Abide. In me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain. You're getting weaker. In the vine. Kick up that coffee, would you, for the next service? In the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain... Thank you. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See that much fruit? That's the fourth level. Okay, that's what he's talking about. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. In the King James, it says fruit that will remain. Good word for it. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, this is my command: love each other. Pray with me for a minute, please. Holy Spirit, would you stir up in our hearts and our minds the desire, beyond desire, Lord? the sense of, I, "I've got to have this. I've got to have more fruit.' Got to have a life that counts for my kids and my, my loved ones, my friends? People I don't even know yet, Lord, I want my life to count, so would you, Holy Spirit, teach us how we, can, how we can have lives that count and make a difference, how we can be fruitful in a greater sense than we've ever thought of before. We ask you to do that, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. It's about abiding in Christ, that's what it is. That's uh, the older word that was used in the King James Version, and I think it has a richness to it. Now, the idea is not new, and you know that as well as I do if you've ever been around the Bible very much, that every child of God is called to abide in him. So in that sense, it's not new. What's new is the problem of the normal cycle of our own independence, and that's why abiding has to come up over and over again, and thus it may seem new. It makes it critical in terms of an issue if we're going to bear Much fruit, in fact, it's not just for bearing much fruit, it's for getting going in the first place. This whole idea of abiding, I don't mean to say that it's just for much fruit, I mean abiding is the normal Christian life if we want to bear fruit at all, from the very beginning, if we want to bear fruit. Now you know what happens first come to Christ, all of a sudden we are thrilled and overawed by what God has done in our lives, and he, he's done some things in us that's been, been, that may have been painful, but yet the fruit of it has been amazing, and so we, we, we kind of walk around with this cloud over us, and we say, oh, Jesus, this is so good, and, and we bear fruit, it's just kind of natural. And you can talk about fruit in terms of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and those verses where it's love, joy, peace, thankfulness, those, you know, the ones. You can talk about fruit in terms of bearing witness for Christ. And other people, they take a step closer to Jesus as a result of our witness. That's bearing fruit for him. In fact, you can talk about the fruit idea here as being anything that causes God to be seen more clearly and glorified in the lives of other people. So take your pick. It's all of those things, and it's more than that probably in terms of fruit. That happens when you first became a Christian. It did for me when I was in the service in 1966. But you know what happens? You lose sight of things. You know, the competence thing starts going up, as it did with Bruce Wilkinson, and as it does with me, and it does with everybody else. And I'm losing my, my uh, box here, so I better put it in my pocket, excuse me. You know what happens, the, the, the competence grows up and, and sooner or later we get involved in things that are really not the best thing in terms of what God wants in our lives and so God disciplines us and he brings us back to where we need to be. He takes away some things that aren't good for us and we begin to get fruitful again. But you know what happens after that as time goes on, likewise, we get busy with the things that are most fruitful and we get so busy that we're like the vine that has so many so many. So many leaves that there's no fruit, of, or at least the fruit is not as much as it should be, and so God has to bring a pruning into our lives, and so he restores that sense of fruitfulness, and it goes again. And it's just this kind of a thing, isn't it? You know, Hopefully, hopefully as you go along, where you started down here is a little higher up here, even though you've gone into a dip, and then you've gone into a dip, and then eventually, it's kind of like what you hope the stock market will be, it, it ends up higher, even though it gives you a heart attack on the way to get up there. You know, yeah, that, that, that's what you hope happens, and that's just kind of the natural thing. Well, you finally get to this place where he has to remind you again, and in fact, if you're ever going to go from, from uh, more fruit to much fruit, what Jesus is going to say to you is he's going to say, okay, come on over here for a while, and, and you abide with me, and you spend this special time with me in a concentrated form that you may not have learned much about before that time. That is exactly what happened to me. Now again, that's not a new idea. And it's not just for our spiritual lives. It's not just for eternity that I'm talking. It's your marriage. (laughs) Remember what it was like when you're first married? There was nothing better than that. Then you got home from the honeymoon, and you realize that there are some things that may be better than that. Or it isn't as good as it was back on the honeymoon. And you begin to realize that she's not the woman that you thought you were married to. She's somebody else. And she looks at you, and she says, he's not the guy I thought he was. And you work through those things and you, you go through those things and you sometimes stay, stay steady and other times you're kind of shaky, but God brings you back and, and he moves you along on this process. That's the kind of thing that happens in any, any relationship and that's exactly what we're talking about here. When Jesus invites us to abide, what Jesus is inviting us to do is to, is to go into a deeper relationship than we've ever had with him before. Yeah, you had a relationship. I understand that. You came to know Christ, and so did I. But what he's talking about when he talks about abiding is an ever-deepening relationship. It's, here's an example of it. The Apostle Paul, who surely knew Christ when he was at this point. Philippians, he's in jail for Jesus. Here's what Paul says at that, at that point of maturity that he must have been at that time. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Wait a minute, Paul. You know Christ, don't you? Well, you know what he means. You want to know your husband like that, don't you? You want to know your kids like that. You, you want to know your wife like that. You want to know your friends like that. There's, there's a friendship, but then there's a deeper friendship. And, and then there's a deeper friendship, and that's what he's talking about. Paul says, I want to know Jesus in ways that I, I don't know him now. I, I want to learn to abide in him in ways that I've never learned before. Now, hopefully you see that in older couples. I mean, <laughs> older couples ought to be getting to a point where they kind of read each other's minds, it's kind of freaky at sometimes when, when it happens with Ilona and me. She's thinking about the same thing, and I was just thinking about that, and then she brings it up, and I don't, I don't know how to explain that, except we're becoming more and more one. We have similar desires, and we have to fine-tune them, but, but we're going along the same track together. We saw that with my mom and dad. My mom died at 83. My dad died at 89, or four years Uh, in that between those times because of their age difference and when my mom died my dad lived for four years but it was as if one and a half people died when my mom died you know what i mean and my dad wonderful man that he was and trusting god he was never the same it was and the only way i can explain that is that half of him was taken when mom left when mom died his his life changed and he wanted nothing more for it to be restored. And he looked forward to heaven as a result of that. Why? Because the relationship was so deep and good and strong. Well, that's what Jesus wants. So what we have here is we have a a new relationship in terms of the depth of that relationship. But what I want to say this morning is that we have a new responsibility when it comes to this issue. This abiding issue is my choice, it's your choice, it's your choice. Whether it happens or not, the invitation is there, so it's my choice whether it happens. Discipline is not my choice. God does discipline like a parent does with children. The children don't come to them and, parents and say, would you please discipline me? <laughs> yeah, I, I have never seen my kids do that. <laughs> I, I, I've never done that with God. I've never said to God, God, would you please discipline <laughs> There's something wrong with that, so God does that. I've never asked God to prune me either. God prunes us because he knows that we've got too much clutter in our lives, too many good things, and they are good things, but we've got too many good things, and as a result, we can't be as fruitful as we could be if he would prune us, and so God prunes us. But when it comes to this idea of abiding, that demands action, and the action doesn't come from God. The invitation comes from God. The action comes from you, and the action comes from me. It's our choice whether we're going to abide in this deeper sense of relationship. There's misunderstandings about abiding. I know that, and I've lived through those, so you may be able to relate to these. I don't know. Some people think it means more activity. In reality, it probably means less for most of us. Some, some people think it's for super saints. <laughs> oh, in reality, what we're talking about is for needy saints, people who are right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and the enmity is gone, but who know how needy they are. That's who abiding is for. Some people think it's easy. I don't find that. I have to make hard choices if I'm going to abide, and so do you. Some people think it'll cure everything, it'll take away all the problems. I don't find that at all. Abiding changes me. It seldom changes my circumstances, though it may change the way that I look at my circumstances. It's not about what's around me, it's about what's on the inside of me. Please don't think of abiding as a way to get what I want. That's not it at all, because lots of what I want is not what Jesus wants for me. Now, how do I do it? In fact, before I even say that, let me give you a definition that Wilkinson gives of abiding. Here, you ready for it? Abiding is a quest for the enlarged presence of His life and His character in you. Okay. This morning, when I went down to my son's uh, desk in the basement to to have my devoted time with Jesus, it was a quest that there be a larger presence of Jesus in my life than there's been before. And if there's a larger presence of Jesus in my life, then there will be a larger presence of his character in me. And as his character is worked out in me, then that will be the fruit that works out in other people. Okay? So, so the question about how do I abide it's not as easy as I, I'd like to make it. But, but I, I can't give you three steps. What I can do is since 19, or since 2002, something like that, where I began to, to go out on Monday mornings out into the woods and try to learn what it means to abide, something I came to call and people at Millington will remember, I, I said, I'm not here Monday morning, I'm I'm in my shelter time. And I got that out of Psalm 90, I think it was. It just seemed like a good thing. But, but I've learned some things about abiding. I'm not a professional at it. I don't know everything about it. Other people know more than I do. But what I can tell you is what I've learned in terms of abiding and what it means. How do I abide? Let me give you five ways. Five things that have to be included. I have to find solitude. I have to find a way to be alone with Jesus. Now, funny thing. That doesn't mean that I'm off in the woods sometimes. I'm coming tonight to the, to the Vesper service. Never been before, but I've heard about it, and I'm thinking, that's what I need. I need that extended time of music, and that extended time of worship, and that reflection. I need those things. So, so I'm not talking about just out in the woods. This can, happen, this can happen on the bus on the way to Manhattan on Monday. You put your earbuds in your, in your ears, and you listen to music that leads you into the presence of God, and, and you, you experience solitude. So please don't get the wrong idea here. I know you're busy. I got that. I understand that. I know there's noise around you all the time. I know there's distractions. I I understand that. But but let me tell you, I don't know how you can get this abiding unless there is solitude. Some form of solitude. I don't know any other way. In fact, when I first began to do this, I began to see myself as a mystic. And I always thought before that mystics are Catholic Uh, Catholic guys out in the monastery and and Orthodox guys out in the monastery. I'm not a mystic, but it's a funny thing that happens when you enter into solitude in the presence of Jesus and you find a way to be alone with him, connecting with him, and nobody else drawing you away from that. Solitude is harder to find than it was in the first century for Jesus and the others because there wasn't an iPod and, and there wasn't a radio station and there wasn't a bus to get on. You sat out with the sheep and you had solitude, huh? So if you have sheep, go out with your sheep and have solitude, okay? If you don't, find another way to do it, because you can't do this without solitude in some sense. Secondly, you need to worship. You need to learn to worship. Most of us don't know how to worship. A while ago, there was a guy in California who closed down the worship of his church because they needed to They needed to do something to connect them with God and they needed some space and they needed to come to a place where they could now worship. And it doesn't matter the kind of music you you listen to. I, I, I have my own Playlists on my on my phone. I I listen to those songs. They they transport me into the presence of God But there has to be something that turns my ice-cold heart And that's what happens to my heart in the battles of life has to turn my ice-cold heart Towards God so that I am now my face and my 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 voice and my mind are are there in the presence of Jesus Christ You've got to learn to worship If you're in a crowd You've got to find a way to make sure that it's Jesus in you, in your own heart, you're learning how to worship. Third, you need to learn to reflect. I pull out books like Secrets of the Vine in my devoted time with Jesus because it helps me reflect. I don't read much. I might read a page or two. This is a little book, so you get through it pretty quick. But this book might take me a couple of weeks to read because I've got stuff that I need to think about as I read through it. And that reflecting helps me understand what's going on in my life and what isn't going on in my life and, and, and how I relate to Jesus. If you've ever read books by Brennan Manning, you're catching on to one of the authors that I find most helpful in my quiet times. Uh, if you want to go online, there's stuff by him, former Catholic priest who knows something about abiding in Jesus that I, I had a lot to learn from. Uh, Brennan Manning, you may find other people who are just as helpful to you. Henri Nouwen is one of the names that comes to mind. It, it, get a hold of something, because we don't do this typically, at least I don't. I, I begin to reflect based on what's coming in, and, and I begin to chew on that and reflect. Scripture does that. But sometimes I need something that comes fresh, like a, like a book like this, so that I can reflect. You learn to Listen quietness is a part of what the solitude is all about, where you're not listening to other things, you're simply listening for the voice of God. I used to think that the only way that God spoke was through the Bible. I was very cognitive. That's the way I went through seminary, and all my all my training was all cognitive. I didn't know anything about this, but now I've come to realize that God can speak to me as I walk down the road, as I, as I drive from place to place, as I, as I, I strip the, the, the wallpaper from my from my kitchen, which I've been doing recently. Yeah, God can speak. It's just my mind, it has to be open. and My heart has to be open to him. I've got to learn how to listen, and then finally, I've got to learn how to obey. Jesus said it in this passage. If you obey my commands, you will remain. Abide, Abide. yeah. If you obey my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands, and remain, abide in his love, yeah. See, the solitude and the worship and the, and the reflection and the listening will mean nothing if it isn't followed by obedience. Obedience is the flow from, the, from the, the other four that I mentioned. If you just have obedience and you don't have the others in which you're abiding in Jesus, then let me tell you, it will become dry and dusty very, very quickly, and you'll come to a point like I was in 2001 where all I could say was, I want to get out, I want to do something else, I can't do this anymore because I have to learn how to abide, but I can't just abide in the quiet place of my soul. I've got to abide in the sense of obedience. So the question is always, will you take on this challenge like any other challenge? Will you find a spot tomorrow morning, someplace where you can begin to learn, can begin to experience. Or will you come tonight and crowd out this place at 6 o'clock? I, I, I'm going to be here because I, I want to learn how to abide. And I know I can abide if I'm in the right setting. And if I, if I abide, then, then out, of my, out of the inside of me will flow these rivers of living water. And as those rivers of living water go into the community around me, lives will be changed And that day will come. I won't hear it because I'm going to be in the wooden box, but people are going to say, oh, my life was changed because he learned how to abide. You want that. I want that. That's not selfish. It's for the glory of God. Here's a final word from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Find out how to abide in Jesus. Let's stand together and pray, and then we'll be free to leave. I'm going to hang around here. If anybody wants to talk about that, I'd be glad to, but uh, you're free to leave after we pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us how to abide. You're the one that went out into the hillside and spent the night with your Father. You abide. You know how to do that, Lord. We're just getting getting a glimpse of it in this lifetime, Lord but we want to learn more and we want to know more. So God, would you work in our hearts and and cause cause us to enter into that special place, that devoted time with you, that we might learn how to abide and that our basket might overflow with fruitfulness for the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For we pray in his matchless name, amen. God bless you.